Welcome to Divine Light with Tiffany, where we will break down the many chapters in the Bible and discuss what they mean to us and how they apply to our lives. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Hello and welcome to all my divine sisters and brothers in Christ. I am once again so thankful you could join me today. So for today's episode, we are going to be doing something a little different. Recently, I said a prayer to God and I asked him, Lord, how do I become more bold in my message, um, in spreading my message to your children, Heavenly Father? How do I become more bold with giving and spreading the word of God. I want to be, you know, less fearful and just be more up, more bold and uh, with spreading the word of God. And little shortly while after that, one of the brothers uh, from my church came up to me. And Brother James, if you hear this, just know that the Holy Spirit was using you to give me this message because he asked me if I would share my testimony. And at first I thought, okay, well, uh, you mean as, as far as my testimony with, you know, how we've been making it through COVID time and lockdown and all of that? Okay, sure. <laughs> but he said, no. You know, with your life, just in general, you know, what is your testimony? And he said, he went on to explain to and said that, you know, when we share our testimony, it gives us the boldness. We become more bold uh, in, in our message and spreading the word of God. I mean, when he said these words, and I, and I, I have not told him this, so <laughs> he'll be learning this for the first time if he hears this, but... Um, when he said this, I just couldn't even believe what he was saying because I was like, wow, I literally just prayed about this. Um, so thank you, Brother James, um, for listening to the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, giving me that message. So it has encouraged me to go ahead and share my testimony. Um, I was actually going to be speaking on fear on for today's episode, but I'm actually going to, you know, um, really go um, with the message that I was going to share and I'm going to put my fears aside and share my testimony um, of my life. And I pray that anyone who hears this uh, gets something out of it, um, can be encouraged or inspired or whatever it is that you get from it. Um, I just pray that it is will be something fruitful to you in your life um, and spirit. So without further ado, here I go. Please bear with me um, as I do share my story. Just want to make sure I don't miss anything and um, uh, with what I wanted to share with you guys. So I'm going to start from the beginning. My name is Tiffany Carter. I was born um, on March 3rd, 1981 in Buffalo, New York to my mother, 
Linda Dockery, my father unknown. Um, the way my aunt Shirley tells it, and <laughs> the last thing she told me about this was that when um, my mother, who was at the time diagnosed with schizophrenia at 28, um, she went into a, a, I believe it was a, a mental institution or so, something to that effect at this time. And when she came out, she was pregnant. <laughs> so I'm sure maybe if I ask other family members, they'll have different thoughts and opinions on that. But um, either way, uh, a couple years after that, my sister was born on May 25th, 1983. And my grandfather... Um, pretty much from the time that my sister was born, I think she was only, I want to say two days old, um, and I was two years old, my grandfather took us in because my mother had been declared um, unfit. Um, She just, because of her illness, she just was unfit to be able to uh, take care of her children. And unfortunately, um, it affected my sister negatively the most because she would actually verbally abuse my sister physically abuse her so um, my grandfather the, the the way my grandfather would tell it was that there became a time where you know we were kind of caught up in the court system and they were going to separate us um, they were going to separate us from the family and put us up for adoption or or something to that to that effect and my grandfather stepped in and said no I, I, I won't allow it and he took us in so here we are two you know little girls living with our grandfather after age five and on pretty much we stayed with our grand our grandfather I, I believe that we did have some visits with my mom in between um, my uh, between the age of two and five I remember uh, in there that we did have some visits with mom but I do remember that sometimes they just they didn't end up going well for my sister the most unfortunately so there was a time where we stayed with my granddaddy and I don't remember seeing any other family pretty much after that at least not not much if we did and my grandfather he did his very best to raise two little girls with no family I might add Um, you know we would have maybe a visit from a family member um, or something I, I can count on one hand that I remember those times and whether it was my grandfather keeping us away or whether the family stayed away because they had their own lives, what, whatever it was, I don't know. And I'm not here to judge, but that is just how it, it was. And so from the time um, I'm from age five on, I just remember it just being me, my granddaddy and my little sister. And he would call us the three musketeers. So he raised us in church. I remember from a very young age, he had us in church. You know, we went to various different churches. I think before we kind of settled 
at one church at a certain age. I want to say I would, uh, probably around maybe 13 or so. And um, we settled at this church. And I do recall that, I do recall some negative events, some negative emotions being associated with this church at some point in some time. And um, I'm feeling as if they kind of mistreated my grandfather and was not fair to him um, and stuff like that. So um, it kind of led me to a negative space and a negative place, you know, with church and church people (laughs) um, is the way I I, kind of just those negative experiences led me to kind of after when I got older to think about church in a negative light and unfortunately throughout the years with my grandfather trying to raise us by himself um, there was a lot of people that he met in his life he knew um, he tried to trust in his life, um, you know, to take care of us and to watch us. And some of them he could. There, there were some really nice people that he knew that would be able to watch watch us, you know, as he while he worked um, to watch over us and that we could stay with while he worked throughout the day. And so that was great. But unfortunately, of course, there were also people who were not good people. Um, that my grandfather thought he could trust and were not worthy of his trust. And at the age of seven, my sister and I were actually molested by a man who was a friend and actual um, someone who was who would actually work on some of the, the jobs and things that my grandfather did. He was a a construction worker and he, he would work on houses build houses and stuff like that and this man I remember he was actually working with him and helping him with these jobs and stuff he thought he could trust him um, unfortunately he was wrong he was a very sick evil man and with that happening happening at such a young age of course it was something that definitely changed my life forever changed the way I thought about a lot of things in life Uh, forever at the age of 12 my life was changed yet again once more when I when a man attempted well not attempted he grabbed me off of a street you know, it's one of those things your parents always tell you, don't talk to strangers, don't talk to strangers. I chose not to listen. You know, I talked to this man. He must have uh, seen me walking to the bus stops. You know, I, would, I was walking to my bus stop at that time. He must have seen me walk to my bus stop before, so he knew I would be there around what time I would be walking by chose to ask me something like do you know what time the bus is coming you know what time it is or something to that effect and I actually stopped and gave him any time I have no idea why but and then he snatches me in broad daylight um, and pulls me into the woods and proceeds to try to rape me so 
mentally, um, this was definitely, it did a lot for me um, in my life, you know, it definitely, definitely uh, changed, it, it just changed my life, it definitely changed how I thought about things um, forever, and, but I'll tell you, as hard as that was at that age, I will tell you that I know that God had an angel looking over me um, because I thought that day that I would die. I thought when this man grabbed me, all the first thing that went through my head, that ran through my head was, my grandfather told me this. He said, don't talk to strangers. I didn't listen. And now I'm going to die. And all I kept telling this man was, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. He, you know, I remember him hitting me in my head and everything else. And I just begged for my life. But little did I know at the time that a truck driver had actually been driving by and saw this man snatch me into the, to the, the woods that was kind of behind the bus stop. And, and lo and behold, and it, it was no coincidence, it was nothing but God, that there was a police a patrol car not too far down the road. He was able to flag down this patrol officer, tell him what happened, and before I knew it, there were multiple cops in, in the woods with their guns drawn on this man. So anyway... The enemy had a plan, as he does for many of us in our lives. But I tell you, my brothers and sisters, when God has a plan and purpose for your life, there is nothing that the enemy can do. The enemy wants to still kill and destroy all that he can. But just know, just know, and when you are a child of God, you shall fear no evil. For as long as God is for us, who can be against us? The enemy roams this earth back and forth looking for who he can devour. But my sisters and brothers, God is on our side. God is on our side. So at age 14, a grandfather went ahead, went ahead and um, brought us to Buffalo to try living with our mom for some time. You know, I'm not sure if he just got to the point where he just needed a break. You know, we were both teenage girls by that point, or my sister was a preteen, I'm a teenager, and Lord knows all the things we were putting him through. Um, so he took us back to try to live with our mom because at that time she was on medication. She was doing pretty good. She had her own place. She was taking her medication. And she actually already had my two brothers. I actually have two younger brothers as well um, that never lived with us up until that point. They had lived with um, one of my aunts and one of my aunts um, and her uh, boyfriend at this time, as far as I know. So 
they were actually staying with my mom at that time. And so when we came there, it was like really the first time that all four of us had ever been together with our mom. So it was an interesting time. I was really excited about it and hopeful and looking forward to, I don't, I don't know, don't, you know, I'm just, I guess, <laughs> looking forward to feeling sort of normal, right? You know, living with our mom and our brothers and, you know, whatever. So very hopeful at the age of 14. But unfortunately, um, my mom went off her, her medication again. And if anyone has a family member who is a schizo- who is schizophrenic, um, th- then you know and you understand how this disease or this mental illness can work. That they can do good for some time. And I will say when my mom, at least at, at this point, um, in the time of my life that I remember when she was on her medication and she was actually taking it every day and taking it consistently I couldn't tell she was ever ill but when she stopped taking that medication it was like night and day so I all and I I could tell when she was off of her medication or when she just wasn't there anymore you know she just kind of would be kind of in her own world um could spend a lot of time just staring at the wall stuff like that so uh, thankfully my grandmother actually lived down the street not far from her so she actually took us in for a little while until um, one of my aunts my other aunts aunt angela agreed to take all four of us in which I have to say was, you know, thinking about it now as a grown-up uh, was an absolute blessing and definitely a sacrifice that she made in her life as well to take all four of us, kids that she really didn't even get to know that <laughs> that much um, until now. So she took all four of us in. She was actually in the military at this time. So that is what happened at 14. So we actually lived with her up until, well, I'll say I lived with her up until from 14 until I graduated high school. Now, at age 16, I had started at a new high school. And this is where I actually met my high school sweetheart, who is currently my husband now. And it was so funny because we um, took a, I think it was like a psychology class or something that it was like a, it was a mandatory class, you know, it was a class that you had to take, you know, a credit that you had to get to graduate or something to that effect. And in this class, there was a period, I think it was about a two week period that you had to carry this bag of flour <laughs> to, to kind of, uh, imitate and uh, showing you know the responsibility of caring for something so you know you have to carry this bag of flour for two weeks not you know not damage it you know watch over it literally like if it was a baby or something Um, so I, I don't know if they're doing that in schools now I don't recall them doing this type of thing when my daughter I was in high school, so I don't know if they're doing that type of stuff now, but they did this, do this in my, in my high school 
And it was funny because our bag of flour, you know, it was me and my boyfriend at the time, <laughs> my high school sweetheart, and we shared our little bag of flour. And I remember I had a little Cabbage Patch doll and it was a little, it was a boy. It was a little, <laughs> it was a little um, black Cabbage Patch baby boy, ball, bald. <laughs> and if anybody knew, if you know anything about Cabbage Patch dolls, uh, it smelled like, like baby powder. <laughs> it smelled like a little baby to me. But I love this Cabbage Patch doll. I have no idea. I, I had to love it because I don't even know why I had it at the age that I was. So anyway, I took the doll, the head of this doll, and put it on this bag of flour. Or maybe I attached the whole baby to the bag of flour or something. I can't remember. So that at least when we walked around with our bag of flour, it was going to be wrapped up in a little bundle and look like a baby. It was going to have a little baby's face. And I actually called the bag of flour Brian Jr., which is hilarious being now we actually have a Brian Jr. So anyway, <laughs> at age 18, we went our separate ways. I went off to the army. He went off to college. I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina for basic training. And after that, I went on to uh, what they, they call in the military. It's called AIT, which, which is... Oh, if I can remember, advanced individual training or something like that. But it's pretty much, it's like a school or, or, or you know, military school where you kind of go to learn what it, what job you're doing. You're learning about the job that you're going to be doing in the military. So I was there for about six, uh, I think it was six or seven months, um, somewhere around that. And that was in Fort Gordon, Georgia. And then after that, I was off to my first duty station, which was in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, about an hour's drive away from Mexico. Now, at this point, um, I had pretty much, I totally turned away from God. I had totally just really turned away from who I even was as a person. I was trying so hard to be someone that I wasn't. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I was drinking way too much. And to make matters worse, at this duty station, the drinking age was actually 18. Uh, because because the duty, uh, excuse me, I said the, uh, the, um, the base there, the drinking age was actually 18 because, because it was so close to Mexico and Mexico, you know, the drinking age is, uh, is 18. So they were trying, it was an attempt by the military to kind of keep the uh, soldiers from going to Mexico, uh, where, you know, they would go and get in trouble or do, do God knows what. So in order to try to prevent people from wanting to go to Mexico to drink and at least stay on the base, they lowered the drinking age to 18. So there's that. So I began drinking too much, partying too much, every, pretty much everything too, and, and, and too much. Okay. <laughs> everything I was doing, I was doing too much. All right. 
and just totally um, just not myself, not the, the person that I um, had grew up to be. So it wasn't long after that I got to my first duty station that I actually met my first husband, which of course he wasn't my husband at the time. Um, and, um, and found myself pregnant very soon after that. So at the age of 19, I ended up having my daughter at the age of 19. We got married by the time I was 20 and he was 21. So, I mean, it's hard for me to even think of that <laughs> right now. My daughter is 19 now. Um, and I just couldn't fathom it. But here I was, a kid trying to be grown at 19 years old, pregnant with um, a man. Honestly, I I didn't know long enough. I, I will tell you now, I did not know him anywhere long enough to be pregnant with his child, but here I was. I remember a um, one of the doctors that I had seen at that time asking me, so are you ready for this? And me and my, oh, my youthful ignorance (laughs) I looked at her and I said yeah I'm ready if I could only go back and smack myself now (laughs) I swear I was definitely not ready at all but anyway so we were parents too young we were married too young um you know, and it was one of those things where I honestly married him thinking that it was just the right thing to do. You know, here I was having his his baby and I felt, I just felt that that's what we were supposed to be doing. You know, the way I grew up in church and, you know, teachings of my grandfather, I just felt like that's what we were supposed to be doing. So that's what we did. We got married. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, two days after our daughter was born, he had actually gotten stationed to Korea uh, for a year. And, you know, it was a, a, a station he was not allowed to bring family or anything. So two days after she was born, he had to leave. But thankfully, by the grace of God, he was at least able to see her be born and able to see her before he had uh, to leave. Shortly after that, I got stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, when um, when Nadia, my daughter, was about seven months old. So fast forward to age four, I was uh, uh, moved once again, uh, stationed next uh, to Fort Meade, Maryland. This by this time, unfortunately, uh, my first husband and I had went our separate ways. We were just too young. Uh, just a lot of drama, a lot of fighting, just not getting along. So we went on our separate ways. By then, 
And some uh, time shortly after moving back to Maryland, I got back in touch with my high school sweetheart. Now, the funny thing is, is that I, because by this time, I didn't have a number for him anymore. Um, I had talked, talk, I have, had spoken to him off and on throughout the years, very sporadically. Um, but I, by this time, I, I don't recall having a number or anything for him. All I had was an email address. And I wasn't even sure by if by then by this point he was even using this email address anymore but I guess <laughs> the way my husband puts it now is that I, w- I guess I was lonely because I ended up emailing him on Valentine's Day that year and <laughs> I promise that this was not on purpose <laughs> but I guess subconsciously <laughs> it was because that was the day I ended up emailing him and the funny thing is, is that he literally only kept that email address because he knew that I had that email address. And he always thought to himself, if I ever tried to reach back out to him, I would be ever able to reach him through that email address. So he literally only kept it so he can check it just by chance if I ever reached out to him again. Lo and behold, that is what happened. And long story short, we ended up back together and so on so here we are Nadia uh, my daughter age seven and we had been together for some time for some years and we were pregnant found out we were pregnant with our son Um, in 2009 about six months after he was born we got married we ended up moving to North Carolina for his job which was it was a good thing at least we thought (laughs) um but we were moving away from family um and i was actually uh, taking a a kind of a different something doing something different in my life i've never done before you know we decided that i would stay home with our son which at the time was exciting so i was just going to be stay-at-home mom with our watching over our son um so Even though it seemed exciting at the time, I guess kind of what we really didn't think about (laughs) or really didn't hit home with us, that we were going to be going from, you know, a two-paycheck household down to now a one-paycheck household. And of course, we thought about financially, okay, how can we do this? We budgeted out everything and discussed the possibilities and this, that, and all that, right? But you never know how something's going to go until you actually go through it, right? So... (laughs) Um, it got to a point where things became very financially strained uh, with one income and then also with us just, you know, having having the baby, me now being home, only home with my son. And let me just say that for the women who stay home with their children, I know that there are so many people out there who totally look down on women who stay home with children. Oh, they don't understand what it's like to be a working woman and blah, blah, blah. First of all, I was a working woman before this. And I was a military woman before this. But staying home with my son, and I only had one job, so I can't even imagine the women who do it with multiple children. But staying home with just my one child, it was a very, very mentally tough job okay so 
for all my women out there who are stay-at-home moms, that was one of the hardest jobs I've done. And I was, I've been in the military, I've worked, you know, um, with the government, I've worked um, in the, you know, with a civilian job or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I've done other things, I've done other jobs, and staying, being a stay-at-home mom was by far one of the toughest. And it really wasn't just uh, the staying with my child just alone it wasn't just that it was mentally feeling like you are literally on call 24 7 you know you're feeling like you you just don't get a break from your job because you are expected to keep the house clean and have the dinner and cook the breakfast and the lunch and stay up with the child and do this and do that and just everything and I'll tell you that was mentally definitely one of the hardest jobs I have ever done okay so husbands or heck if it's the husbands that stay home wives whoever it is that's a stay-at-home person please please tell your spouse your significant other how much you love and appreciate them because it is a very very tough job but anyway all right so moving on with my story um but at this point, it just became very challenging for us. And not only was, you know, there was financial strain, but also with us not having any family nearby, you know, so it's that kind of thing. It's like we just never really got a break. You know, we were always kind of, there was never that, you know, just husband, wife time, but hardly ever anyway. Um, we were all about the kids um, and then financially, try, financially trying to keep up with things and being a one income household now. And and being newlyweds, you know, and you would think, oh, newlyweds, oh, that's the best time, right? But when you mix in, you know, moving to a new place, no family, you know, stay-at-home mom now, um, um, trying to take care of the children, the parents together, and just so many things. And him even having that financial burden, feeling like he's having to now provide for his family and trying to figure it all out. It is a burden. It was a burden definitely for him. It was a, sh- a struggle for me. So it was tough. It was tough on our marriage for sure. And I just remember I began to pray for our marriage. But I remember my prayers <laughs> were always like I was, you know, making a, a an order at Chick-fil-A at the drive-thru window, right? It, my prayers were kind of like, Lord, please, could you please make my husband like this? And could you make him like that? And could you add a side of this and just add a side of that as well, Lord? Please, please, Lord. And, and um, you know, but um, for a while, it only just seemed to get worse it just just felt like it just kept kept getting worse and we would talk you know we would talk uh, uh talk about some things but then you know only for everything to just feel like it would just go back to the way it was and then we stopped talking right and we would just you know hope that the <laughs> the makeup you know love yeah I'll let you fill in the blank would just suffice you know we we would stop talking and we we figured like that would just be enough and we'd survive. And so we just wouldn't, wouldn't talk about it. <laughs> Trust me, that didn't work either. 
And at this time, I had begun drinking and started to drink a lot, you know, just drink more and more, right? Um, It progressed, you know, one glass became two, two glasses became three, three glasses became four, four glasses became the whole big bottle and one night. Um, I mean, you know, to be honest, it just became absolutely absurd. Um, You know, looking back on it, um, you know, I started out, I would have a, a glass with dinner or maybe after dinner or something like that. Then I then it moved to, OK, well, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I won't drink until five, at least five. And that was usually around the time I was cooking dinner. So then I'll have a, a glass with while I'm cooking dinner and then I'll have another glass with dinner. And then at some point, <laughs> you know, that wasn't good enough. And then I would tell myself, OK, well, I'll at least wait till 12 in the afternoon, you know, to have a drink because it's five o'clock somewhere. Right. So I'm sure you can only imagine (laughs) that went from that was how I was able to have more and more and more and more. Right. Until it got to the point where I couldn't go out with my husband and have an enjoyable time with my husband, my family, my son, my daughter without at some point thinking, you know, looking at my watch to see what time it was and okay well how much longer are we going to be here because I'm ready mommy's ready to go home and have a drink instead of enjoying the time with my family I was ready to go home so I could have a drink and although it was a hard time and it's painful to think about right now it really is it's painful to think about the time wasted The time that, you know, I will never get back in my children's lives. But I know now that it was a necessary part of my journey. Because at that time, I would pray for God to heal me from drinking so much in this addiction. I knew that at this point I had a problem. And I knew um, that I was in denial. I was in denial for it for years, you know, and, and my husband would say stuff to me and I, you know, I, but I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to deal, to deal with it. And, you know, so I, I would just deny it or just try to joke it off, play it off. And, I, you know, I'm fine, whatever, whatever you're talking about. Right. Um, that kind of goes back and back to, you know, you really, you can't change someone until they're ready to be changed. Right. Until someone is ready to make a change or do something for themselves in in their lives, you can't make them. And I remember thinking to myself one day, I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to stop. The thought of even going one day without a drink seemed unbearable to me. Unbearable. Unbearable, excuse me. Because... I, it was just like every day I'm, I'm like, there's a certain point in the day where it's like, well, first of all, I'm looking forward to it in the morning. And then, you know, by the time it's 12 o'clock, you know, okay, all right, whatever else is going on, I don't care anymore. Uh, Time for a drink now. And I actually told God, (laughs) I remember, I remember this. I actually said to God, 
even if I could manage to stop, Lord, I know I will always crave it and it will always be a battle for the rest of my life. And now I think back and I say, well, what in the world did I go and do that or think that for? Because I tell you, my sisters and brothers, God answered me and he said to me that day, oh yeah, watch me. I had come to a point also in my marriage that I just felt, I felt desperate. I felt so helpless. I felt desperate. I gave up praying. I said, I I can't even pray anymore. What is the use? God, I don't know. You know, what is the point of me praying? I don't see how we are even going to make it. I just don't see it. But you know, the amazing thing is what the amazing thing about being a child of God is, is that you don't have to know how God is going to do something in your life. You just need to know that he can and he will. And I tell you, my brothers and sisters, don't ever, don't ever doubt in your life whether God can do something. Our God can do anything, anything. Jesus said, if we shall only ask in his name, Whatever it is that we ask for in his name, he will do. (sighs) I didn't know that then, but I know it now. (sighs) So I tell you, I tell you, my brothers and sisters, that today... I do not drink anymore. And the best part about it is that I do not, I don't have, I don't think about drinking. I don't have the desire to drink. I don't feel like I need a drink. I don't even want a drink. Like it is just not a problem. It is just not a problem. My husband and I have been married 11 years and going strong. So I've said all that to say this. When I say that, when I say that I would not be here where I am in my life right now, if it wasn't for the grace of our almighty God, I tell you, my sisters and brothers, I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it, but he gave it. He gave it in abundance, exceeding abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. He gave it. So excuse me if I can't help but want to give him my whole life. I can't help... I can't help but cry thinking of all the good things that he has done for me in my life. All that he has brought me through. All that he's brought my family through. 
all that he has brought my brothers and sisters through. The devil wanted to take everything from me. He wanted to take everything from my family. Everything from my sisters and brothers from the time that we were brought into this world. But God said, no, I have a plan. I have a plan for this one. So I'm asking you right now. Because it's not just me. It's not just my brothers, my sisters. It's you too. God has a plan for you. I know, I know everyone has a story. I know everyone has a testimony. I know everyone has something that they had to make it through to get to where they are right now. Or maybe you are still going through. Maybe God is still bringing you through right now. But I'm telling you, because I wish I had someone to tell me then, that I know it feels like, it feels like you will never get through. And I know you don't know how. But I tell you, my sisters and brothers, my God does. That our God will get us through. He always does. He can and he will. And all you have to do is trust in him. He has a bigger and better plan for your life. He has a bigger and better plan for you. So what has he brought you through? What has he delivered you from? I'm telling you right now, if you don't do anything else, you thank him right now for that, for whatever he brought you through. You should get on your knees and give him all the praise. You should jump and joy, give him worship and praise. Get on your knees right now and tell him, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for everything that you brought me through. Thank you for everything that you are bringing me through. Thank you, God, for what you are about to bring me through, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Nothing is too big for our God. Nothing is too small for our God. Nothing. So I thank you so much, my sisters and brothers, for joining me today. I know this may have been a bit long. I haven't seen how long this just went on, but sorry if I got a little carried away there. But uh, I just wanted to share my testimony with you guys. I love each and every one of you. I thank you so much for listening. I thank you for being here with me and taking the time. And as I always say, until next time, and until we meet again, let the divine light shine in you.